Well, he is risen. A little coaching there. I'll say he is risen. And you'll say he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. We gather this amazing Easter morning. Uh, thank you for being accommodating with the weather. I know we are squeezed in here. We were expecting to be outside uh, where we had a little bit more room. But with that, if there's space next to you, if, I don't see much, but if you could squunch, that's a word. I just made that up. Squeeze, crunch, whatever that is scrunch together. Uh, we have a few other people that I think are still trying to find a few seats. So if we could kind of fill in any gaps, that would be helpful. But as I said, uh, you know, we, we weren't expecting to be in here. In fact, uh, um, I don't know, have you ever had like something unexpected happen? Like, even right now, just think about it. what is the most unexpected thing, you don't have to say it out loud, but just in your head, the most unexpected thing that has ever happened to you? Like, you just didn't see it coming. So for example, obviously we, we had to pivot, we're inside, but not only that, we actually, uh, we got these amazing Grace Monroe fans for all of you, not expecting the uh, 45 degree morning that we had, but we have those uh, if, if you need them. Now I was thinking about this idea of like the, the unexpected and, uh, and obviously this morning was, was not planned, was unexpected, but um, but I was also thinking back to, to it was March 13th, actually. It was a Friday, so lucky Friday the 13th. Uh, it was my mom's birthday. And uh, we, uh, I was serving at the time as the, uh, the, the Carver Middle School, the, the president of the PTA, which uh, the unexpected thing is the fact that I was <laughs> serving as the president of the PTA. In fact, I think I was the only male in Walton County on the PTA. But uh, I think no one else was willing to serve, so I got elected president because there was no one else. And, uh, and so, we, you know, just struggled to get, you know, parents involved and trying to, to get more things that were happening at the school. And, and so we kind of had worked for a couple of years doing different things with, with mediocre response. But uh, so Friday, we, we had a spaghetti dinner. And for the first time, overwhelming. I mean, the cafeteria was full of parents and teachers and students excited about uh, the plans we had for the spring, some fundraisers we wanted to do, an eighth grade dance, all kinds of great plans, lots of excitement and energy. And halfway through that spaghetti dinner, Mr. Satterfield, the Carver principal, gets an email saying, we will not be having school on Monday because of the little thing called COVID. I don't know if y'all remember that Friday, Lucky Friday, the 13th. And uh, actually we kind of, we pivoted, uh, you know, what do you do when you get the unexpected? And so, uh, and, and so we, you know, kind of as a church rallied and we came up with what we thought was going to be a really, like a thinking way out in advance. We came up with an eight week plan. Yeah. We didn't know, right? I mean, you, you pivot, what do you do with the unexpected? What's the most unexpected thing that has happened to you? Actually, when I was thinking about that, it wasn't even March 13th uh, that was the most unexpected thing. For me personally, it was uh, when my, my fourth child uh, was being born. I mean, that part wasn't unexpected. There'd been nine months of buildup. But uh, we, we were, Sadie was, we, all the stuff was happening. We were heading to the hospital. She was going into labor. And, uh, and so we get there, get into a room, and the, the doctor assures us that she's still 
uh, you know, a long way away from actually delivering the baby. Well, at this point, four babies in, she kind of knows what's going on in her body. And so she's like, no, 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 this baby's coming. And the nurse is so sweet. They're like, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Here's some water. Take a breath. And they leave. Actually, the doctor left to go pick her children up from school. And, uh, and so they're not there. There's a couple of nurses on shift outside. And, uh, and, and Sadie grabs me by the hair. And she goes, this baby is coming. And so I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I, I kind of, I, I glanced to see what was happening. And, uh, and I stuck my head out in the hallway. And I was like, I can see the head. Is that normal? And all of a sudden, it was like alarm bells going off. I mean, they're throwing towels and medical supplies. Everyone's rushing. And I literally birthed, caught my own son as he was being delivered in my unexpected moment. So, of course, you know, Hakuna Matata, Lion King style. I did have to present him to the world. But today, Easter, we actually celebrate the most unexpected moment in all of history. When what seemed to be is not what was. And so I'm going to read us the story and hopefully uh, we're going to draw some, some parallels into our own lives because we recognize that even if we've heard this story a thousand times before, that the living word of God uh, has fresh power in our own life. And our prayer is that even this Easter, that we would receive the unexpected in a new way. So if you have a Bible... It's what we do at Grace. We worship God together on Sundays and open uh, his word. So open up to John chapter 20. If you need a Bible, you got plenty of them walking around. Just slip up a hand. We'll get a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, a day like today, 2,000 years ago, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That unexpected moment. You see, the pause right there. For Mary, she, the last time she had been at that tomb, it was to watch them put the dead body of her Lord, her rabbi, her teacher, Jesus, to lay him to rest. And she'd watch them roll a giant stone in front of that cave opening. What she knew of for that tomb is that it was a place of death. It was a place of grief. It was a place of bitter disappointment. Because she thought she knew Jesus. He had changed her life. He had loved her. He had seen her in a way that she had never been seen. He saw past her baggage. He saw past her brokenness and he saw her. And she knew God's love through Jesus in a way she had never experienced before. It freed her, transformed her. And all of her expectations of who Jesus was and what Jesus was going to do because of what Jesus had done for her came crashing down on that Friday evening as she watched her Jesus be beaten and executed, hung on a, on a cross to die, taking his body down, a few of his disciples had tenderly wrapped it with, with linen and cloth 
and laid it in the tomb. But because they were in a rush because of Sabbath and no work happening on Sabbath, they had to do it before sunset. And so this is her first opportunity to go back to that place where she thought she knew what to expect. But she gets to this tomb still in the dark, both literally and figuratively. So she comes to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. It's not how it was supposed to be. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who's John, who's one writing this account, the one that Jesus loved, that's how John referred to himself, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, I don't know who she thought they was. She's just trying in that, that haze of confusion to just put the pieces together. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Now, both of them are running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Now, now Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and he went into the tomb. I do think it's amazing that John writing this account, it's really important to him that you know he's faster than Peter. <laughs> Three different times. Both of them are running, but you know, the disciple that Jesus really loved outran Peter. Peter walked into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. Now the cloth, it was folded up by itself, separate from the linen as if it was done with care. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And, and now he saw and believed, and yet they still didn't understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It begs the question, what did he believe? I mean, he, he held on to what he saw, but he didn't quite understand it all, which actually gives me comfort in my own faith and the places that I don't quite understand, but I hold on to what I do know. So then the disciples, they went back to their homes, but Mary, she stood outside of the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you weeping? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Now, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and, and I'll go get him. I love Mary here. In her grief, in her confusion, she's just trying to figure out something to do. You know, this sweet woman that's just like, you know what, just tell me, I'll go take care of this. Give me some indication. What have you done with my Jesus? And through her tears, she doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is. But then Jesus said to her, and this is maybe one of my favorite words in the whole Bible, favorite moments. Jesus said to her, Mary. And with that, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai which means teacher. 
And Jesus said, don't cling to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I love that moment of in Mary's confusion, in her grief, in her fear, that she's trying to make sense of it all. And maybe you've been at that point in your life whether it's in grief or in confusion or in fear and insecurity, in that place of pain, of longing, where just the world is not as it's supposed to be, where things are not working out the way that you expected them to. And maybe in that moment, you didn't recognize Jesus as he stood there, right there beside you. Until like John 10, when Jesus had said, I'm the good shepherd. And I call my sheep by name and I lead them forward. And with a word, Mary, she knew who it was. She turns, she grabs a hold of him. And then Jesus, he's not dismissing her. He's not being like a jerk, get off me. He actually has bigger things for her. Don't cling to me because I'm sending you with some good news. And I love how Jesus words this. He's so intentional. He says, go and tell my brothers. This, this band of idiots, scared, lost, one who had straight up denied him three times, all of whom fled in fear when he was being arrested, watched from a distance as he was being crucified. And Jesus says, yeah, that's my family. And tell them that I'm going to my father. And then this little part, and yours. That Jesus knew because of what he did on the cross on their behalf. And even as he hung on that cross and he cried out, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That he knew it was actually that forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, the thing that separated us from our true heavenly father that he would pay for on the cross. And so he could say with full confidence, I'm going to return. I'm ascending to my father and now your father, my God and your God. And then Mary becomes the first witness of this amazing good news, sharing what she had seen and what she had heard. So we learn from, from Mary, what do we do when we encounter the unexpected? Well, like Mary, we lean in. I know sometimes when we face the unexpected, our tendency is to try to, is to, you know, try to hide or run away or to avoid it, to numb or to busy ourselves, to ignore, but Mary leans in and she listens. And listening, she hears the voice of God and as she leans in and she listens, she obeys as much as she knows. And obeying what she knows, she goes and she tells. And the same is true for us, even this Easter morning, 2000 years after these amazing events happen, 
as God's invitation, even right now, is to lean in and to listen. What is this God of this universe who has never left your side? The God of this universe who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, has never abandoned you, who calls you by name to lead you forward. The invitation of Easter is to lean in and to listen and to obey as much as we know. I love that John didn't quite get it, but he believed what he knew. And it actually would be a while before they would start putting all the pieces together. I mean, there's gonna be 40 more days after the resurrection before Jesus ascends uh, to, to take his rightful place as the king of all kings over the universe, that he, uh, that he would sit and eat and hang out with his disciples and he would begin to explain going back to the first pages of scripture how all of history all of the bible was pointing to that moment of Jesus on the cross and his ultimate resurrection and not even just those 40 days of Jesus explaining from the pages of the scriptures and the prophets what he had to do and why he came and why he died and rose but it would take several decades of the early church still putting pieces together and, and, and wrestling through what does this mean for us as a community of brothers and sisters who are now sons and daughters of God, adopted into a family, redeemed, beloved, restored. How do we live this Jesus thing out in our world? And it's in those decades they would begin to write letters to each other. And those letters will become our scripture. And still 2,000 years later, we're, we're still trying to figure out in 2023, Walton County, Georgia, how do we live this Jesus thing out? The reality that we have a risen God, a present Savior. So they would look back and they begin to remember the things that Jesus taught. That's what Jesus promised his Holy Spirit would do for them. And they'd remember that just a few days before they'd gathered that Thursday night for Jesus, what we call the Last Supper, where Jesus would take these elements of the Passover feast, that, that feast that celebrated God's deliverance out of slavery in Egypt, the exodus into the promised land. And every year for thousands of years, the Jewish people had gathered for this feast in the spring, that Passover meal. But this time Jesus would say, this bread, this bread is my body given for you. Take and eat, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But they didn't understand what he meant, not yet. And then he would take the cup of the Passover, what they called the cup of redemption, from God's promise that he would redeem his people out of slavery with an outstretched arm. And Jesus would say, that cup is actually my blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins, Take, drink, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And it's actually at that meal, having distributed the bread and, and the cup, that Jesus would make this statement. He would say, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you, Jesus would say, are my friends if you obey the things that I command you. And what do I command you? 
to love each other the way that I loved you. Greater love. Now, it's interesting because love is this word that we use all the time, right? I love you. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I love Easter. I love all kinds of things. But what did Jesus mean when he said the greatest love, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Well, last Sunday, for those of you that were here, we, uh, I shared with you this principle from scripture. It's called the law of the first mention. And what it is, is that to really understand something in the Bible, you look at the first time it gets mentioned, an object or a specific word, and then it gives us this lens to understand that word or that object through the rest of the Bible. So last week we were looking at when Jesus said, the the rocks, if these people don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. And the first mention of a rock in scripture. But do you know what the first mention of the word love is in the Bible? The first time love shows up, it's not about an affection or an emotion. It's not about somebody falling in love or desiring another. Now, the first mention of love is actually Genesis chapter 21. When God speaks to a man called Abraham, another one of those unexpected moments, and says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love and go and offer him as a sacrifice on the place that I'll show you. Now it is interesting. There's lots of commands throughout that chapter that God gives Abraham, but nowhere in that chapter does God actually tell Abraham to sacrifice his son. He tells him to offer him as a sacrifice because God has a different plan. But Abraham does exactly what Mary did. He leans in, he listens, and he obeys what he knows. And so he begins that trek alongside his son that he loves, and they make their way to this mountain that God would show them. And they climb to the top of that mountain, and Abraham would take this pile of wood, and he would lay his son on top of that wood, and he would raise the knife over his son. And at the last moment, God would call out from heaven, stop. And Abraham would look over and in the thicket would be a ram caught by its horns that would become the substitute whose blood would be shed. Thousands of years later, or generations later, they would build a city on that hillside called Jerusalem. And it would actually be at the foot of that hill that they would lead Jesus out from being imprisoned and they would hang him on a cross. And all of a sudden his words that John the Baptist declared, the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world would make sense. And all of a sudden Jesus' words, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Sound familiar? that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Would all of a sudden make sense. And Jesus' words at that last supper, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. If you obey what I command, all of a sudden would make sense. 
So on this Easter, the invitation to lean in, to listen, and to receive what God did on that fateful, unexpected day 2,000 years ago where the sins of the world hung and died with Jesus on the cross so that whoever received him would have the right to become a child of God, forgiven and set free. In just a moment, we're actually gonna take communion. I know there's a lot of people, so I ask you to have patience with one another. We have communion stations set up in the corners of the room and people distributing the elements. I invite you to go as a family or with some friends. Communion was not intended at the beginning to ever be an individual solo act. It was a, a part of being a part of a community that Jesus didn't just die for me, he died for us all. That I'm not just a son, I'm also a brother with a lot of new brothers and sisters. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so we gather around communion and we remember those words that Jesus said. Taking communion is an act of faith. It's an act of receiving. By taking that bread, it's recognizing, it's receiving in faith that Jesus gave his life for you. And just as real as that bread on your lips is the presence of God with you, in you, through Christ. And Jesus, as he took that cup and he said, my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the blood of a new covenant, a new oneness with God. As we take that bread and dip it in that cup and take that the symbols of Christ's crucifixion is an act of receiving, a statement of faith that I believe, I lean in, I listen to God call me by name and I receive in faith the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. So recognizing that sacred moment, Paul, as he wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, would tell them not to take communion lightly, but to search your heart And so even right now, I invite you just to close your eyes and take a deep breath and all of the busyness and the fun of Easter to just pause and recognize the significance of this moment of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. And if you're willing, just ask God, God, search me, know me. Is there anything wayward in me? And to just confess Is there anything in your life that needs to die with Jesus on the cross? Any place of sin falling short of what God intended? Any place of guilt or shame, fear or pride? Greed or selfishness? And just between you and God, Tell him, Jesus, I confess. I confess my sin. I receive your forgiveness because of what Jesus did for me. And the amazing thing of the cross is not just simply that Jesus takes our junk on himself. That that old baggage can die with him. But that he 
pours out his new life into us. So even with your eyes closed, I wanna read 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting humanity's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God himself were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So maybe for the first time, receiving that good news, receiving Christ into your life and the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus takes the old to the cross with him. He knew every moment of your life before one of them came to pass and he still chose you. And then from the cross, he wants to pour into your life that resurrected life. What do you need to receive from God in your soul this Easter morning? Hope, peace, love, Forgiveness. So as we enter into worship, we invite you to respond. And like Mary, if this is your first time receiving Christ as your savior and Lord, tell someone, find me, find one of our elders, let somebody know. We're not meant to do this faith journey alone. Or maybe for you, it's God restoring something fresh in your soul, calling you back to himself in a new way. Tell someone, you're not meant to do this faith journey alone. So I invite you to stand and worship. And when you're ready to make your way to communion, you can come and kneel, you can come and pray. Pray with each other and for each other. Let's worship God together.